Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Drive to Win out of the Blue Wire Studios here at the beautiful Win Las Vegas and presented by Mobile One for the love of driving. I'm Justin Bell and I'm very excited because what a weekend. So much going on at the Qatar round of the Formula One World Championship. Only five races left to go, but boy, oh boy, uh, where the, uh, I can't say it was one of the world's greatest races, but the energy, the atmosphere, the dynamics of what was going on, so many elements all joined together to, to make it a pretty, well, memorable race uh, for so many people, both in the good and the bad way. But the big news, of course, uh, unless you are living at the bottom of the ocean, you will know that Max Verstappen tied up his third consecutive World Formula One Drivers' Championship in the sprint race, in the sprint shootout on Saturday. I mean, just extraordinary. And you've you've been with me the whole journey, seeing how this has unfolded, starting every week with almost the, the inevitable Max was on pole. Oh, Max was, won the race. Max came from the back to win the race. And, you know, it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to win the championship, but it still did not minimize to me just... What a fabulous uh, sense of emotion, a sense of achievement, and just to see them as a family bond over it and, you know, rejoice in really achieving something that very few humans ever will, and that is world domination. And let's put it in context. He's joining the greats, Ayrton Senna, Nicky Lauder, Sir Jackie Stewart, in getting three championships in a row. Uh, he's broken the record for the most number of laps led in a single season. And we still have five races left to go. Uh, second place is 200 plus points behind. I mean, he's got the second longest point scoring run ever with 36 races. And just to show how controlled, how together he was the whole way through, he was the only driver in the race on Sunday in those remarkable conditions that didn't exceed track limits. Not once. So if anyone wants to debate the fact that he is still driving well within his limits and yet crushing the opposition, I'll, I'll have that argument any day. But, you know, remember that while we watched Max execute so flawlessly, it is a process. It, the, the foundations for that were laid many years ago, whether it was with Dietrich Matsic, it was with Helmut Marko, Christian Horner coming on the team, uh, putting his his footprint as a great driver into just understanding the the dynamics, the elements that have to come together, uh, the thousands of men and women that put this together, Honda uh, and what the engine program they put together, Adrian Newey, who quite honestly is the Max Verstappen uh, of the drawing board. And just all this was put together in a sequence that we are now seeing realized and yes, it won't be forever. A hundred percent, Max is going to have someone at some point and the team, not just someone, the team that come together to, to, take, uh, to take him down and take him down is a rough word to say, isn't it? But, you know, make him race for every win. But right now, what a role, how incredible and nothing should be taken away from that. And just to see his father, Jos, Jos Verstappen was a heck of a tough driver on his own. He's, we talked about it quite a few shows ago. He raised Max in a way that, you know, arguably not everybody would, uh, would want, to, uh, want to be raised like, but boy, the end result, a guy that makes 70 or $80 million a year and is the fastest driver, the most complete racing driver on the surface of the planet right now. And boy, he was, he looked so proud and I was glad, I was really glad to see that. And, you know, they talked about, uh, when asked how many more championships he'd win, I mean, Max is only 26 years old, guys. 26. That's half my age. Ugh. Um, he has a contract through the end of 28. And he said, I don't know. We'll see. We don't know yet. He said, uh, the good thing is we enjoy it and he has to enjoy it. And then we'll see. Would be great. I think he's going to be a five, six time world champion. But I hope that the conditions for the next two championships are a little bit more like Lewis with him at the end of, you know, a couple of years ago when you really are fighting tete-a-tete. -tete. Uh, I really enjoyed his in-car radio. I'm mean, sorry, it's a bit like the Max show right now. Um, but let's let's honor and respect what he just did. Uh, I enjoyed even when he went out, 
Did you see those opening scenes they, uh, when they went out on the trek on Qatar? It is in the middle of bloody nowhere. It's on this, it, the sand is blowing across. It was a building site until the day before. And uh, the track looked great by the time they'd finished. But the, the sand, which is just was just blowing in those high winds across the track, and the car was so slippery to drive. And he giggled and he came on the radio saying, it's so slippery, it's so slippery. And I was thinking, that's just probably like the same as the little kid go-karting in Holland, in the Netherlands. And, and he was just having fun out there. Interesting thing about that, though. Did you notice a lot of the guys who are known for their car control immediately rose to, to the top of the timesheets? And I'm talking about like uh, Kimi and, and Valtteri Bottas and people like that, just because... They they love rallying. They you know the foundations of their 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 DNA of their skill set is in going sideways, and I'm sure that's not a coincidence that those guys immediately got got on it. Um, it was a race weekend of contrast. We had the problem with the Pirelli tires having a frequency vibration um, wear issue on those severe curbs because of the duration of the time they spent on the curbs. Then they had to change that. Uh, I mean. Boy, I tell you what, they 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 know the engineers and the you know the the engineers and the drivers use every inch of those tracks as we see, and then to bring in three or four feet of the track and cutting those track limits. No wonder we kept on seeing everyone going off the whole time and uh, going off track limits, uh, and then of course starting the race with mandatory pit stops and no more than nineteen laps on a tire. I think it was. So I mean, really unique circumstances for a new unique race. And just wonderful. I mean, we can't minimize the fact that Oscar Piastri won the first Grand Prix for McLaren in a long time. It wasn't the full Grand Prix. It was the, the shootout, you know, the, the sprint race on, on Saturday. Uh, but he did so in fine form. And he is a guy that is pushing, uh, pushing the limits of brilliance too. And he's so young and it's his rookie season. But let's get to the main race. And we can't, cannot minimize the effects of that heat. And I've personally gone through it at Lamar. We had a thing with the Vipers. It actually was in Japan. It was up to like 62 degrees, 64 degrees uh, centigrade in the front engine Viper. And I remember crossing the finish line and almost, I couldn't almost complete the cool down lap. I mean, I literally wanted to throw up, wanted to pass out, wanted to do anything, wanted to strip naked in the car. I just wanted to get out of it uh, because once the adrenaline went down, the the emotions, you know, the physical toll takes its, you know, hits you. And I just really felt for those drivers. It's tough racing in that area of the world, even at night, but I'm sure they're going to be revisiting the temperature. I mean, the Ocon threw up during the race. Lance Stroll felt unwell. Logan Sargent. Now, I mean, I know I talk about him and I, I mean, may, I, I wish you all the best, but I felt for you because if heat stroke hits you and I know he felt unwell in the beginning of the week, there's nothing you can do. Literally anyone that does any form of ultra sports knows that if your body tips into the, the temperature thing, you, you have a problem. Let's, let's also sort of describe a bit more why that is because if your high heat and humidity you know, goes up, it leads to two problems in, in, in the in the exercising body. One is you obviously your body temperature goes up and you get dehydration, which increases, you know, as your body temperature goes up, it is effectively hypothermia, which leads to decreased muscle, muscle endurance. And basically you can no longer continue to do that. And the trouble is with racing is you can take on fluids, but there's no other opportunity to refuel your body. So you can't have a moment of rest before you run back on a field, maybe like in football or soccer. Uh, so it literally is, it just stores this heat. It's a heat soak buildup. And if the heart doesn't get much blood, it basically can't pump as much oxygenated blood back into the, into your muscles. So it just is this incredible race to the bottom of your physical uh, conditioning. And as Max said, it isn't a question of who's fitter. It, it literally is if your body gets slammed by dehydrate, you know, by hype, uh, by overheating. Um, and I really, I really felt for, for Logan when he said on the radio, come in, I thought his, his engineer handled it nicely and said, yeah, just come in. And uh, that was a tough one. Um, so the winners for me of this weekend, obviously, other than Max, were McLaren, um, Lando Norris, and Oscar Piastri. Phenomenal result. I'm excited for, you know, to, to see how well they're doing and Zach Brown and the whole 
restructured management performance team at, behind McLaren, including my great buddy, Gilda Ferrin. You know, they're on the, ro- on the rise and it's no longer a coincidence that their upgrades are being, you know, it's compounded in the way they improve every week. Uh, very, an Oscar, I'm just excited to see how, how he, um, you know, brings his best game as he gets more mature. I think, you know, the, the interesting thing for Norris is it must hurt because he wanted that first win, uh, of his career there. And, uh, but he made some mistakes in qualifying, and, but he bounced back to finish, finish P3 in both races. So, uh, that's going to be a really fun thing for us all to watch. And of course, hats off to the McLaren team, Lando's t- uh, crew ch- team for the fastest pit stop ever in a Formula One race at 1.8 seconds. And uh, I recommend you, if you didn't watch the race or you missed that, go and watch that again because 1.8 seconds is a flash, a flash, an instant. And all those people do what they do. And there's a person for every job, but the choreography and the composure to do that in pressure, in that temperature, I think was outstanding. And uh, what, what a record to set. Uh, another winner really was Alfa Romeo on form. Both both drivers on on the points, and you know while it bumps the Swiss team in, uh, above Haas in the in the constructors championship, they must be eyeing Williams because they're they're not far ahead. Uh, but you know just really just a great great race a great race for them. The thing that you know in the not winners category, uh, while the start was ex- extraordinarily off the line, you know to watch to see Lewis come up and literally clip the front of George's car and take himself out. Thank God, not both of them out. And, and George went on to have a, you know, very, very strong race. Um, it's a moment of racing. It's one of those, I, I don't blame him for trying it. And you're, you're dealing with what you've got there. I mean, it did make me, I don't know about you. I leapt off the sofa, like my God, that's a disaster as the wheel bounced across the, the gravel. And you could just see the, dejection in Lewis's uh, body language as he stood there. He did walk back across the track, though, which cost him $50,000, which, I mean, I don't know. That's jet fuel for one trip, isn't it? But he, he for him, but uh, still, he got a reprimand and, uh, you know, you don't walk across an active track. But any, I'm really glad I thought he handled it very well and beautiful social media moment when, you know, he went, he obviously reviewed the video and took back his, you know, like, what the heck comments. Uh, he, he took full responsibility and, and, uh, and that's what he had to do. But here's my thought. I reckon that Lewis is having to raise this team up all on his own. Uh, I'm not saying without George, but his responsibility is to bring Mercedes back to the top. And that's what he's doing. And I think he isn't as liberated or as free just to race as George is. And while he's, of course, the guy, and we know he can do it, um, and he will win races again, I think we're seeing George able to flex a little bit more because Lewis is really responsible for, as the state elder statesman driver, to bring the team up to where it needs to be. So give Lewis a break. I think you're going to see him, uh, if he can uh, you know, take the shackles off a bit of responsibility, he'll be doing what he does. Um, Sergio Perez, I'm just, uh, you know, I've got to... I think we'd be mates, actually, if we got to know each other. That's just silly. Um, but, and I say all these bad things about him, but I'm just, I keep wishing for the best. He had 15 seconds of time penalties during the race, and he hasn't podiumed in the last three races. And uh, I mean, he did get one point for 10th, which did put him at one point back up against Lewis. But boy, he needs to come into these next five races on a tear. Um, so, you know, Lots to play for. It was a great race to watch. I'm going to get into it a little bit more uh, with my guest, who I'll introduce in a second. But it was just, I think you've seen, there's a frustration level, there's a stress level. And and coming into these last five races, contracts are on the table, sponsorship renewals. And so you're, I think we're in for some really fabulous racing coming up. And talking about that, watching racing under the lights yet again made me... Uh, get all sort of excited for what we've got coming up here in Las Vegas in just a few weeks. Can't believe it's so close. Um, here at the win, remember, we are we are ready for you. Uh, go to winlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1. So many ways to be here. The strip is coming alive. Las Vegas is ready for it. 
And here at the win, drivers are staying here. There's all sorts of activations. There's Formula One cars everywhere you can look. Check it out for yourself. But uh, I've got a lot of friends now realizing that, you know, coming to Formula One in Las Vegas for the first year is something they don't want to miss. So however you can make it happen, check out our website and uh, see if we can help you make your dream come true. Well, our guest for today is Derek Bell, MBE. He is a five-time Le Mans winner. He is a two-time world champion. He's won Sebring. He's won the Daytona 24 Hours. He raced in Formula One in 1970, as well as for them in sports cars. Finished sixth in the US Grand Prix at Watkins Glen. He is also my dad. Well, dad, it is so good to finally get you on the show. I'm sorry you must have feeling or been feeling a little bit left out. No, not at all. I mean, <laughs> quite frankly, I saw the guys you had on before and they were well ahead of me. So I was just an also ran really, but I had a good time. Well, no, we, we're going back through the decades and getting people on, you know, who did race in Formula One. So, uh, so, so nice to see you on the show. Well, first of all, we, we did talk a bit after the, the Grand Prix. It is all about Qatar. That's what we're, we're recapping on this show. Um, boy, oh boy, your overview of the race before we dive in. Well, it was really, it, actually, it was probably the most chaotic weekend I've ever seen of Formula One. Um, you know, from the, all the practice sessions and then the track uh, the track limits and then, of course, the tyres and the problems with the tyres, which I think is very poor on somebody's behalf to get that wrong after the time they've had to get prepared for the race. But, you know, I'm only really an outsider, but, I mean, that's my overseeing of the situation. And then the poor guys never seemed to stop going out to practice and see who would go quickest. I'm sure they enjoyed it. I'm sure Verstappen did anyway. But, you know, nonetheless, it was... It led up to what we assumed would be a great race. You had the sprint race, which I'm not sure if we need it, but it certainly provided plenty of entertainment. Um, and I think it just puts in cars in so much danger of getting really damaged and not being ready for the main race myself, because the Grand Prix is what it's all about. But nevertheless, uh, you'll we'll have them and have them for years to come, no doubt. But the actual race itself, um, you know, wasn't a big surprise. It was, it was sad that Lewis Hamilton had his little moment there with, Russell, um, it was one of those racing incidents, which, you know, they'll all look back and go, that was a bit stupid, but you know, it happened. And that is Formula One. It happens. And usually the first corner or so is the, the dangerous part when they're all mixed up together. I don't know how they mix, miss each other as it is. So I thought the race progressed, uh, you know, very interestingly with all the things that happened. But I mean, I think the tires, I mean, to make say that there's going to be four tire stops really does mean that there's not really any tire management going on. The, drive, the drivers just hope that they can get through and come in on the on the right lap and, and change tires. I can see why it was done in the interest of safety, but it shouldn't. That shouldn't have happened in my book. No. Not with the level of Formula One is. No, I mean you're right, Dad. I, I actually enjoy. Um, it's funny when I say Dad on a podcast. I'm sure that everyone's in the cars around the country go Dad. Everyone. Um, yeah, it's, you it's are like, my son still. By you, the way. I know you are, but I, I mean, it brings back a story. I remember the first time we were at Brands Hatch, and the first time I realised you can't yell "Dad" down a pit lane when everybody in the pit lane is a dad. Uh, and I remember I was like eight, <laughs> and I had to shout "Derek," and then you turned around, and I, I worked it out. Um, I mean, let's talk about that. That was really bizarre when they announced they had to have the mandatory pit stops. You know, the t after no more than eighteen or nineteen laps or whatever yeah, on a set yeah, of tires. Yeah. The upside to that, Dad, is we didn't have that ridiculous, well, I find it frustrating, situation where in Formula One, the ultimate form of motorsport, arguably, they have to manage tyres and roll around at 70% speed. That, I think, is a disservice to us as viewers as well. And, I, you know, we had a race, you know, three races ago where they, they almost did 60% of the race and you could see they were on cruise control. And I, I think that's more of a disservice than at least making them change tires the whole time. As Landon Norris said, we did qualifying laps every single lap. And while it exhausted the poor chaps, it did, it did mean we saw more overtaking and we saw a higher race pace than before. I mean, that was the positive upside. Yeah, well, I think they'll learn something from it. Uh, I've always, I'm not that keen. I mean, the way I look, I, the way I look at Formula One, and I know I'm old-fashioned, so you'll have to live with that, everybody that's listening, is the fact that, you know, it's a race between drivers and cars. And I'm sure tires come into it, but they're not the main thing. Without them, there wouldn't be any racing. But we want to see 
the best drivers in the world driving the best cars and seeing how, how well they can get on. And to my book, this should be, you know, like one set of tires, get out there and do the race, maybe one fuel stop, which they don't have anymore, but that sort of thing, and then carry on. I am all this stopping and trying to get, well, I don't know how the public watching it, you know, we're trying to attract more people in the world of motorsport to watch Formula One and other classes of racing. And all the time, we spend half the time coming in the pit lane and people at home must go, what's he coming for? He told he's got degradation and he's got overheating and he's got this and that. I think there's far too much intrigue and sort of inside stuff, which is rather too technical for, 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 for people to watch. I mean, you go and watch a soccer game and you see a bit of leather being kicked around, around, around the, the, you know, the, the ball goes around and somebody scores a goal and you go, well done, yeah, I'll come back and do it all over again. And in cars, we see, in, motor, in Formula One particularly, I think we've, we've missed the plot as to why we're doing our racing. Many of that's just me, I'm sorry. Well, no, you've always been like that. You've always said that about sports cars. You said it about BOP, balanced performance. You said it about multi-class racing. And, and in Formula One, there is no excuse for it because it is single-class racing. There's 20 drivers, technically the best in the world. Uh, certainly in most cases, they are. And it should be pretty simple. I think especially with the knowledge they have that the way they the simulations on these tracks they you know the curbing they put down how was that even allowed i it's kind of wild that they could do that um anyway moving on from that you've seen a lot of drivers dominate in the world as someone just walked by with a red bull jacket on in waving as he came by there's a lot of race fans here in the wind that um you've you've seen a lot of extraordinary drivers in your careers rise to the top and be the best and have periods of domination. How do you evaluate the Max Verstappen phenomenon and, and put in perspective quite what he's achieved? Well, I, I probably will miss somebody out. But, you know, if you go back in my, in my lifetime, you know, it started with a guy called Fangio being the greatest man out there, and he was. Sterling Moss was his right-hand gunner. And Sterling won one or two races, and Fangio, really, when Fangio supposedly let him, I don't know. I think Sterling could have beaten him more, but he had respect for Fangio. And Fangio was the greatest man in the world at 43 years old, but two or three, three times. So you had that period, and then you went from there to the Jim Clark period, which was amazingly, well, it was amazing. Obviously, I was Sterling Moss as well in that period. And Jimmy, of course, tragically died uh, in that race at Hockenheim that I was in. So that was a shocker. But um, you know, we had great names all the way through coming through with Jackie Stewart. And then, of course, we had um, Michael Schumacher later on and other people on the way up. Um, and here we are now with, um, you know, Lewis Hamilton, obviously having won the title like, five times. Eight, eight, I think. I think that, eight times, like seven or eight, like too many. Yeah. And bless his heart, he has been, the, he's been the, the top guy out there. No doubt in the, the probably the best car but he has made the most of it and he's won more races. And then of course we come along and suddenly out of the blue comes this young kid called Verstappen. And I, I remember when I first watched him in a Grand Prix, I thought there's something special about him. And I'm not saying I'm being clever because I think I told you that. And I said, you've just got to watch this guy for somehow he just seems to put it together. He's obviously very, you know, he's very attacking driver. He attacks like crazy because he, he, he wants to be in front and that, season when he and Lewis had the battle I thought was pretty spectacular and I'm you know I was a bit disturbed at the end with some of the antics that went on but I think both of them were sort of pushing the boat out a little bit and then of course since then he's sort of dominated Formula One and you know Red Bull have done their job let's not forget the people that build the cars that prepare the cars and all the rest of it just how important they are to that guy's success and I think uh, Verstappen's had magnificent success. He's given them all the, the, the ability that one could have. And he's there and he is, you know, still got more in hand. And I know other people have said that, but it's so apparent when he goes out and you say, just watch him when he gets by, he gets by and then he sort of disappears. All right, for the public, that's not special. But we had it with Michael Schumacher. We had it with Jimmy Clark. We had it with other drivers over the years. And there is a there has to be one, a, a driver that's the best, and the other guys have got to catch up a bit. But it's difficult. I know somebody's going to say, "But why is McLaren only second? Only second well, at the beginning of the year, they were nearly last. Yeah, they've come on incredibly well this year. For example, they've been the team of the year really in their development, and it's not over yet. 
but uh, you know the other teams. Well, we know you know some of the drivers have they have rental drivers, if that's the right word. I hate the word really, but you know chaps that have got the money to come in and have a go and try to see how they get on, and they they limp away at the end of it, probably a little bit hurt. But I think we're seeing an, a special era of Verstappen, and I read today there's talk of him. I don't think he'll retire quite yet, but you know he's his whole life isn't racing. He's a different personality. And I think that's why when he gets out there, he drives in a slightly different way. Yeah, it is almost out of worldish. And you you always commented the thing you almost say after every race to me is, you know, you look at their hands and they barely move on the wheel. Um, I think that is obviously the nature of the grip le- level they have in those cars. But when you watch when you watch that in car and you see the amount of data they're put consuming, the amount of uh, you know, just the radio communication, the the options they have on the steering wheel to change every single control you can think of on a car from inside. It the job of a modern day Formula One driver is is while it's not as physical as your day, they mentally uh, I think are pushed to a limit that you, I can't imagine either, and certainly you can't. No, I, I I must admit I admire them immensely for all the mental output that goes into it. But those I I feel sorry for them in, in many ways. I mean, when we used to, I know you know in the in the going back in quite a long time. But you know, I mean, it used to be you know before we did qualify, one of the drivers here, the other, well, um, what time's qualifying going to be over? Well, four o'clock. Okay, see you on the first green at quarter to five. <laughs> Nowadays, the poor guys are on their simulators and or nearly. And, you know, downloading all that, that information into their head to go better the next day. And so it's changed a lot. And technology has changed in motor racing immensely. But there was a day when the driver used to go out and have a bit of fun afterwards. Mm-hmm. It seems that then these guys aren't used to it. I mean, there's some, there's some players there that want to get out and have a good time. And I'm sure they do when they get their off periods. But they're so busy with it. All right, it's, it's nothing to do with the, the money they might be earning, they might not be earning. But they're so involved with the with the running of that car and i'm sure it started in my opinion in the michael schumacher days when you've heard that michael was sort of been with his engineers till 10 30 11 o'clock at night whereas all the other guys used to go back and you know go and have dinner somewhere yeah and, and the rest changed a lot but yeah I, i'm not sure that i'm i'm you know happy with the way these guys are operating the way that they have to operate i don't i think it's a lot of pressure and then above all you know you see them at the weekend in all that heat yeah. I mean that we haven't discussed that if you want to. Yeah, I, I do. Mean, I mean you let's discuss it. I mean, you let's discuss it because you you and I both suffered from heat during our race career. I I remember pouring ice water over you at Silverstone with your feet are in an ice bucket. I mean, I was, you know, watching your father basically throwing up after having got out of a car he just won a race in. You must have been able to you must have had a connection to the way they were feeling. They just couldn't stand up anymore. That was the heat was obviously outrageous. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was shocking, obviously, in our day in a slightly different way. But, of course, generally speaking, you know, we were in closed cockpit cars as well. So we didn't get, you know, whereas Formula One is is an open cockpit, but they still don't get much air in the cockpit because it's diverted away to sort of try and bring air to the brakes or to the turbos or whatever it is. Yeah. They're trying to cool other areas of the car. So the driver sits in a very hot area. I saw it was 50 degrees set which is a hundred and something plus degrees uh, in the race at the weekend. And that's far too hard. It's actually not good for the human body to put up with that. So mm. I, I think that, you know, that was a bit extreme. And I, I wonder whether they'll actually go and race there again, actually, because how can they, I mean, it, they do it at night. So it can be too, in the daytime, it's 20 degrees hotter. I know. So how could they do that? No, so, it, it'll be interesting. Interesting next year. I think the race is later in the calendar next year. But um, just go back to the beginning of the race. And we watched Lewis have, you know, obviously a great start on the outside. Um, George was on the inside and then Verstappen's stuck in the middle. And, you know, we talked about it a bit yesterday, you and I, their ability with the grip they have to go around the outside is something, these overtaking maneuvers that we haven't really seen before. Um, You know, over the, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't have overtaking like that because you had to stick to the racing line. There seem to be so many racing lines now, they can kind of go where they want. But teammate and teammate having an accident is almost, I mean, it's a no-go, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think every, anybody, and you're not being critical, you're making a statement. The fact is that 
anybody that sits on the grid of a Grand Prix and <laughs> sees the, see the red lights go up or the green flag go for you to start the race, then all hell breaks loose and anything can happen. And of course, it invariably does. And one's brain, although it's active, is super active at that point. And perhaps, you know, you make minor misjudgments. I mean, just imagine you're sitting in the car. Those guys have no peripheral vision. They can't see anything mm. sort of really behind their, their little mirrors on the side. With yeah, them. They, yeah. they have a special mirror that looks out the back. I know all that. But you can't look at that in front of you there and then look out the front. So he's looking out of the, over the nose of the car and down. He can see nothing to either side. I don't think that's explained enough. So if anybody's on the outside, they cannot see him. And in the incident that you're talking about, I think that the driver in question, bless him, the most experienced guy in the field, just miscalculated just where he was on the road. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've also said the fact they're going around the corner to abreast. One could never do that in years gone by. There was a particular line for the corner. They didn't relay the surface every time there was a Grand Prix. You know, it's like it was for the Easter meet, meeting at the Easter meeting. And here they are in, in September on the same surface doing running similar cars. So there was a very definite line. And if you're wide, you're on the on the dirt, which would, of course, be brushed away. But it still was, you know, was not as good a, a, a surface for the tires. However, that was where you went if it was wet. You would often mm. run around the outside of the corner where there was a rougher surface. And there was the stuff to sort of get your help, your tires go through the water. But um, I, I, I think the tire thing, you know, like that in those situations is very critical. And I, I'm staggered to see how they cope virtually the whole way around the lap side by side. I mean, that was never happening before. So yeah, I mean, they, good for them. They, they have amazing courage. One has to say. They do, don't they? They you the way they stick it on the inside, it then becomes the outside, that then becomes the inside. You're like, oh yeah. my god. I mean, it's. It is great racing, and, and what you just said something you, which I think is easy, but it's sometimes for me to forget. We've both been in that situation, and of course, while as a viewer you you look down and you see twenty cars and you see them all moving, when you're behind the wheel, you are only dealing with your own little island of activity, aren't you? You can only deal with what's oh, around yeah. you. you. You have no clue that oh, someone's yeah. coming up from three places behind. No, no. No, and, and I think also in, in Lewis's defense, I mean, it wasn't the best move that he made. He should have stayed out wide because he could have done. But the fact was he, mis, I think, miscalculated that there was going to be three cars. He only mm. thought there were two. I'm mm. sure of it. He didn't know that there was crowd. I mean, he would no way would he have gone where he was if he thought there were th three cars because he knew three doesn't go into that area of two. No, no. He, and... and but you, uh, the, other, the other thing too, JB, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Karen. You, see, you have to remember that We've seen it numerous times replayed. They came up to it seconds after the start, blasting down at 180 miles an hour at the first corner, going through, wondering if the car's going to have the grip. And as they go through, bang, it happens. It's as quick as that. Mm. And we, we don't give them enough credit for the fact they didn't have time to make any more decisions. No, no. I actually said that a lot when I was commentating on, on the IMSA stuff, you know, and the very easy in the booth to go, I just don't understand why he would have pulled that move. And I, I, it was Alan McNeish one time at Le Mans. Remember when he pulled across in front of that GT car, yeah. went over the wall, and yeah. it was a horrific accident? Yeah. And I said, you know what? He takes a thousand risks a race, a thousand risks that could result in a crash like that or worse. And you get away with normally with a thousand of them, but sometimes you don't. And so that's, yeah. the, that's how right on the edge you are. So I, I, I totally agree. And I also, I know being a gentleman is a big part of, you know, and the way people conduct themselves is important to you. Lewis does handle himself like the, like the knighted gentleman he is, doesn't he? When he, he reviewed yeah. it and he goes, he goes, that was my fault. hundred percent. Um, yeah. I actually said to my girlfriend, yeah. Milani, I said, I said, that was, you know, she said, why did he blame George straight away? And I said, because you do <laughs> in every crash, the first thing you do, you look and you go, it was him. Right. And then you look at it yeah, afterwards. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. No, but Lewis, Lewis has matured tremendously. And uh, he, he's, he's heard it all. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And so, therefore, he was very, he looked back at it and went, yeah, that was probably part, mainly my fault. Yeah. And that's it. And he was good enough to go and shake hands with George as he should. I'm not sure that it's really good in a team to have so much battling between the two lead drivers, but it seems to happen a lot. Mm. But at the moment, I think, you know, 
you've got the McLaren pair who you've got Piastri doing so well and and Lando must be going, hello, where did this come from? You know, so yeah. he's got to take a closer look at what he's up to and how to beat him. I love that pairing though. I love the pairing of Lando. He's a, he's, you know, he's a feisty lad. He's obviously very confident, comes from a very wealthy family. He knows and he's extremely talented. And you've got Oscar as a rookie who's right up his chuff and actually has outperformed him the last couple of races. And, and I think, what's going to be really enjoyable. And I'm sure Zach's going to be man- right on top of managing this. Lando's going to have to, Lando's going to be trying even harder to, to beat his teammate, which is, which will be an interesting dynamic. Don't you think? It'll make, it'll make Lando a better driver actually. Mm. Um, because he'll suddenly realize that there was a little bit, it's a bit tougher than he thought because he was the McLaren number one and he still is the number one just, but you know, he's got to prove it now. Uh, I think, I mean, I think he's terribly talented. He obviously does incredibly well in the dam and yeah. in the wet, but obviously the car suits those conditions as well because they're both doing well in that. Mm. But Piastra is the young kid on the block. He's got no inhibitions. He's got nothing holding him back. And he's just going for it wherever he can because he, he knows he can. And then one day he'll find, hello, I can't do, I can't go any faster than that. Yeah. But he's nowhere near his limit yet. Yeah. Well, you, you retired and came back a few times. Um- <laughs> You said not really retired. So age is just a number. Do you enjoy? Do you enjoy watching Fernando Alonso driving, taking it to these young kids with all his experience at his age? It's so funny. Yeah, I always look to see where he is, whether it's qualifying or it's in the race or whatever. I'm intrigued by it. I've only met him really once, and we've sort of that was a good one, funny enough. Before he was hardly known, and then a couple of times since then, I bumped into him at Le Mans, things like that. But he, I just love his enthusiasm, the fact that he loves racing. And in fact, he's, I have to, I'm not, I don't think I'm like him, but I love racing. And you can't take the racing away from a race driver. He wants to carry on. And if you're lucky enough, like he has been and I have been, I think, and you have been, you get through without getting hurt. And so therefore you, you don't think that you're invincible, but you know that you could do some more. And I can quite see why he's doing it. And he does such a beautifully mature job when he does it. Yeah. I I agree. I think he's also, you know, he's the only one getting points in that car. Uh, I, he's got to probably deal with the fact that he's got, you know, Lance over there, Lance Stroll, who's, I don't know, punching the wall and pushing his trainer out of the way is pretty poor show. Um, and I think that's what we, as you said, as you would say to me, dad, if he was one of my friends, you'd say he was brought up quite so privileged that, you know, some he feels certain rules don't apply to him. Um, but at its core, he's performing badly and he's being demoralized. Ira, I don't think we're going to see him in the sport for long. Do you? Uh, you're asking a big question. I, who knows? You know, dad's pretty, pretty wealthy, but it depends mm. how much he wants to support the team or support his son. Yeah. But I think you'll realize his son isn't, I mean, he's had some good races. Don't oh yeah, he has. Well, I've seen him race well, but he's, for some reason, he's gone, really gone off the boil a bit like poor old Perez has gone off the boil. And I, I wonder about that. Who somebody who won a Grand Prix earlier in the year, and now he, you know, he's halfway down the grid, and that must be tough going. But that's a mental issue. I think Strolls is that he he's good, but not that good, and then of course he's not getting the results either. Yeah, it is. You know how important it is for young drivers to to keep their momentum. Lance, we just talked about even Sergio Perez. I mean, this is what I was saying to someone last night. He is a multiple race winner. He is he is on his own as you know as good as the best of the rest and he's being crushed at least he had a career and something to draw on so he's been given the grace within the team we know with andretti coming you know that at least they got their fia approval and hopefully that'll bring in if they get the the fom approval it'll mean that they'll be able to be on the grid a lot of hurdles to to overcome but maybe bringing in more american sponsors more american drivers um i think we're going to reflect back on logan sargent as you know, a great kid, he had a lot of you know, he was obviously fast enough to get in the seat. And Williams seemed to keep giving him their support, but he is in an absolutely skull crushing situation, isn't he? The, the morale, and you saw me go through it a couple of times in my career. You basically you couldn't, you couldn't hit an apex with both hands, you couldn't even win it if they no one else was competing. It's like you've lost the plot. How do you look at him and do you think he should be, do you think someone else should be given a go? 
with oh let's to finish to say yeah he definitely somebody else those are other drivers out there who i would say were more experienced and should be in that drive because it's awful to say i had never heard of him until he sat in that grand prix yeah. car at the beginning of the year most drives you've heard have come through formula two i mean look at you know piastri come up through formula two he's led the championship he won the championship it's sort of stuff that i came through you remember i did i wrote formula two yeah. way back and in those days you had a race against jimmy clark and graham hill and jackie stewart all the top formula one drivers were racing formula two with you so you you learned how how competitive you were but I, I think there's, there's, there, I can't help but think there are more drivers in America that should be in, in, a, in, a, in a top team like Andretti Racing um, who should be getting the break. And I'm sure that will happen. Yeah, I agree. And there's a lot of drivers in, in there's guys in IndyCar and NASCAR that should get give the opportunity to drive, you know, in a team like that. I mean, the world has been waiting for an all-American team. Well, let's, for goodness sake, let's have it. I love it. Well, well said. Uh, before we're going to do a little fun question and answer thing in a minute, but just for the audience, uh, give us a fun Enzo. You race for for the the man for Enzo Ferrari in Formula One, which is something that today's Formula One drivers still is the only thing they probably trade with your era is not the danger, not you know maybe the girls, maybe everything else, but the chance to race race for for Enzo Ferrari. Um, What's a, what's a fun and what's your first memory of Enzo Ferrari and a good story to share? Well, I mean, the first time I met him, uh, it was one morning. I'd been, I had my test drive with 11 other guys or 12 chaps at Monza the day before. And they said, you've got the drive. Come down to Maranello. Went down, stayed in the hotel. And the morning went to the track. Uh, sorry, went to the factory, which I'd never been around before. and was shown around. There was nobody there. I mean, I said, it was a Wednesday. And I remember I said, knowing all the cars are there, everything, all ready to go, but no people on a Wednesday. And I said to the chap showing me around, I said, so so who, um, you know, uh, what's happening? Where is everybody? He said, they're on holiday. I thought, a holiday? You know, what are they doing having a holiday in the middle of the week? And he, which I then learned when I spent more time in it. So he called, it meant it was a shopper, which means uh, they built, they're on strike. Uh -huh. But that was my <laughs> first sort of inter you know, hello, welcome to Ferrari. And then round the corner comes this amazing man sort of uh, with tinted glasses, hair swept back beautifully, immaculately, and, and a raincoat over his shoulders. And uh, he was obviously El Commandatore, and uh, he was walking towards me. And the guy with him, bringing him in, said, oh, he said to me, oh, the sorry, with me, said, oh, here comes El Commandatore now. He is the one on the left. As if there was any doubt which one, it was Enzo Ferrari. But that wonderful sight of him walking with all his cars actually on the assembly lines right beside him as he walked down towards me. And if somebody got a, got a photograph of Enzo walking with those cars, they was sold be on the front of every damn magazine, but then there was nobody but me and we didn't do selfies in those days. Ah, it was a good memory, Dad. Well, it is now time for the Mobile One Pit Stop for the Love of Driving. I'm going to ask you a few questions and uh, enjoy the answers. Um, who was the driver in the on the grid that you were always worried about when you were in single seaters in terms of pace play reconciling wow good answer uh your biggest regret in racing uh, that i never drove a full season in formula one but no. i'm still here and i had another 30 years of most sport through sports cars so i would not say i want i wished i'd done it i'd like to have done a season got out of it all right but too many of my colleagues had accidents and i'm glad to say i managed to survive it all mm, so are we obviously um your best racing moment oh now you know what that is you know the answer i know i'm, <laughs> I'm just throwing that I in was there driving with yeah well i was driving with my son justin in a mclaren in the lamar 24 hour and andy wallace another great british driver and we led the Lamar 24 hour for what, 16 hours, only to finish third, nonetheless. But it was to be on the winner's roster with your son on Father's Day was the most memorable day of my racing life. When you were starting racing, do you think it was for the speed, the money, or the girls? <laughs> I don't know, really. I, I, I know it was, no, it was purely the speed. There was no money. Uh, we got paid so little, we didn't get anything in the start. I mean, you know, I was in Formula 3, Formula 2, and I just we just did it with our own money as we went struggling through, thanks to my stepfather. 
the colonel and everybody got to know him. And then I got the chance to go and test drive for Ferrari in my beginning of my fourth season. So, you know, it was pretty special to, to get that opportunity. Um, and it was really the speed and the glamour. And of course, the girls came within that. And of course, the fact that at the end of it, I suppose, won out a bit of money, but I never earned much out of it. I did it. I mean, we all did it for the for the for wanting to win we all we want to do is win race you can ask any formula one driver mm. probably even verstappen would say he didn't do it for the money he did it because he wants to be world champion yeah why do you think i did it <laughs> <laughs> you had nothing you had nothing else to do <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. No, no, no it's not right but you i mean you were a damn good driver i remember mm. when you drove me around the nurburgring and I thought, my God, he really knows how to drive. You're a natural. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, I want to encourage you. Yeah. What, what did you Is say? Yeah, it's perfect. Um, I'd hate for you to go on, actually. Um, what did, do you remember the word that went through your mind when I told you I wanted to race? Well, I couldn't use them on, 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 mm-hmm. on, on English-speaking television, to be honest. But I thought, you know, I thought, well, I suppose that solves the, the, the problems of which colleges he go to to study what he doesn't want to study. So, and, you know, he told me he wants to do it. And so we did it the best way we could, whether it was the best way, I'm not sure, but um, it's sort of the way I did it. And it sort of worked for me. It should have worked for you better, I think, but you still, you managed to drive in all sorts of formulae. And, you know, you just were sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time. So not to get the really good drives to get you a little bit further along, but you can't blame on what you did. You worked for, you drove for factory teams. And then you did really well. So you won Le Mans and you won the World Championship in sports cars, albeit in GT1 or GT2, whatever. It was fantastic. You had a bloody good career, but you could have done better. Yeah, I agreed to. Oh, this is, I just thought of this. And I know the answer. Are you, your, your own career led to so many amazing things and uh, you enjoyed my career, but I get... I mean, it's almost a rhetorical question. I think you're prouder now that I do this for a living than when I drove a racing car. Well, I, well, because I think you're doing something you really wanted to do. Mm. You really wanted to do it, and you worked bloody hard at it. Uh, being a driver, it didn't fall into place the way it should, and 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 sort of you didn't just go up the, the table the way you should. You, you should have just been in a better drive and you're done well. I, I can't believe you weren't good enough to do it, mm. but you've, you know, you've got to this stage now and you're doing so well. And I think, you know, everybody, wherever they were at the Rensport last week or whatever, they all admired how you carried yourself, you know, through all the interviews and chatting with people. You're just a natural. Even the great David Ops says he's never seen anybody quite as natural as you. So what can you say? You've done all right, really. I've done all right. Well, thank you very much, Dad. Thank you for listening, everyone, to that family intervention. Um, <laughs> finally getting to ask you some questions. Um, well, listen, that was really good good fun, Dad. Enjoy it. Enjoy. I, I mean, I know there's a, a lot of racing coming. The next five races, I mean, think about it. Austin, then you got Mexico, you got Brazil, and, and you, then you got Las Vegas. The, the story is not written yet, is it? There's a, a lot of fun on-track action to come. Oh, yeah. I, I think a lot. And I think, I think in a way, young Piastri coming through the way he is has given us another massive interest because Verstappen is in a league of his own, I believe. And, uh, you know, Piastri is in a league of his own, but he's still learning every minute he goes out. And, uh, you know, he's going to be one to watch. But there are others out there too. You know, don't forget, I mean, look at the lads that are, in the in the disappointing cars, but they're still managing to get good results. And at the end of it, you've got dear old Alonso will pick up any of their drives and do what they're doing. Yeah, crazy. All right, we'll enjoy it. Thanks for joining me. We'll catch up soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It's certainly for me, it's a treat. Uh, I think you can tell. My dad and I have a very special relationship, and sometimes I have to pinch myself that I have access to a guy that's been in world motorsport at the top level for over 50 years so uh, and there are so many more stories to tell if get us with a drink one time and you'll hear the rest of them so what is it about a race that's so exciting is it the breakneck speeds or the constant pressure or that ever-present threat of danger or is it simply the driving think about it there's no phones there's no laptops no screens just the world's greatest drivers cars and the ultimate freedom Yep, for me, it's all of the above. Mobile One, for the love of driving.
Well, it is a weekend off ahead, uh, bef- but everybody is migrating quite literally to the Americas. We have the Austin Grand Prix in two weeks' time. We then go to Mexico. We have Brazil. And then a couple of weeks later, we're here in Las Vegas. So very exciting. Uh, the drivers, meanwhile, obviously will probably be taking a couple of days to recover from the trauma physically of and the emotional roller coaster of the Qatar Grand Prix. So I'm sure they're doing what they do. And if you follow along on social media, I, I guess we'll get an insight into, into how much fun they're having. But it is also very serious. Five more races. Manufacturers' positions open for everybody other than Red Bull at the top of the charts. Driver championships open to everybody other than Max Verstappen at the top. So, I mean, an awful lot to play for. And the marketing machine here in the United States of America is on full throttle gearing up for Austin and then getting ready for the Las Vegas race. So uh, I can't even kind of emphasize enough how exciting the next five weeks are going to be in the world of Formula One, especially for us. Especially for us here at the Win, because we have the Win, uh, the Las Vegas Concours on the grounds of the Win Las Vegas on the week before the Grand Prix, November 11th. And it is going to be a collection of quite literally some of the world's most beautiful cars from it's a kaleidoscope of the automotive history. There's race cars, there's road cars, there's celebrities, some of the finest collectors in the world are bringing their cars here. I'm going to be hosting it along with April Rose and we're going to be, the whole crew, Jeremiah and the guys, we're going to be out there getting interviews and it's a very accessible way to be a part of Formula One. And that's what they're doing, I mean, of of the automotive and racing experience in the lead up to the Formula One. So if you are anywhere within a few hundred miles of, of Las Vegas, you should really try and come to the Concours or make it a destination uh, it's very reasonable to attend. And so go to lasvegasconcord.com and find out your best way of being here. Well, guys, listen, it's been a long show. Thank you so much for, for listening or watching. And don't forget, spread the word, please. It's an important time of year for us as we try and look towards the end of the season and then being back for next year. So the more you hit that share button and tell your friends about it, the better it is for us. Thank you very much for the Win Las Vegas for being such a gracious host to to me here in the Blue Wire studios, and of course to Mobile One for the love of driving. Uh, Stay in touch on social media and and see see you next week when we preview the Austin Formula One race. And uh, I'm actually joined by one of the most creative minds in the automotive and racing world, Jeff Swart, and he'll be giving us some insight into his optics on Formula One and the world of capturing it. Thanks so much, guys. I'll see you next week.